Welcome to Our Village Circle, a podcast centered around authentic sharing, honest storytelling, and elevating the voices of parents and professionals alike to demystify the realities of new parenthood. We understand on a visceral level that with the joy of your new human also comes every other emotion under the sun. We want you to feel seen, heard, known, and held in this life-altering stage. We wholeheartedly believe that everyone's story has something powerful to offer others as they navigate their own journey. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm your host, Jaylee Turner, and today I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. We're going to meet Logan Bazan Wright, a classical singer, a cycling instructor, a mom from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and one of my dearest friends. In today's episode, part one of a two-part series, Logan will share with us her experience of going through her first pregnancy and birth during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. She shares with us her expectations, how her plans had to change as COVID ripped through the world, and the challenges that she faced as a new parent in quarantine. We'll get started in just a moment after a brief word from our sponsor. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Kindred Bravely, and talk about their round-the-clock nursing jumpsuit which I seem to be washing all the time because I wear it literally all the time. It seems like the second it's clean, I'm pulling it out to put it on again. I've always loved jumpsuits and rompers, and especially in the warmer months, I almost exclusively wear them. When I was newly postpartum with my second, Kindred Bravely came out with the -the round-the-clock nursing jumpsuit, and I was thrilled that there was something available in my style that had the demands of postpartum and nursing in mind. Not only is it stylish, but the fabric is so incredibly soft and cozy. It's perfect for versatility and dressing up, dressing down. I have worn it lounging around in my bed with my newborn, and I've also worn it in public on professional singing gigs in front of an audience. Does this sound too good to be true? Kindred Bravely has graciously made it easier for our Village Circle listeners to try their products at a discount. Visit www.kindredbravely.com slash ourvillagecircle for 20% off your first purchase. The discount will be applied at checkout and certain exclusions apply. Kindred Bravely has two missions, creating beautiful, comfortable, and useful clothing and building a community of moms who support, encourage, and celebrate each other. There's rarely a day where I am not sporting something from Kindred Bravely. I love this company, and I'm so excited to be able to make it easier for you all to try them too. Kindred Bravely wants you to feel comfortable and look great in your journey through motherhood. Again, the link is www.kindredbravely.com slash ourvillagecircle for 20% off your first purchase. Now, back to our episode. Hi, Logan. Welcome to Our Village Circle. Hey, Jaylee. Thanks for having me. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your family. Sure. I live in Pittsburgh. I am a classically trained singer, which is how you and I know each other. And I do some 
piecemeal work singing. I also teach cycling classes at a local studio here in the city. So it's my husband and our dog and our daughter who is now almost 16 months old. Gang's good, you know, finally. (laughs) I'm excited to hear your story and I'm excited for you to be able to share it with our community. So why don't we just start at the beginning? What was your journey to becoming pregnant? Yeah, so we were pretty fortunate in that our journey was kind of fast. I will say that we decided we wanted to start trying and we were like, oh, we want to have a kid maybe in the next couple of months. So maybe we should start trying now because we knew so many people who had struggled with infertility. And we thought, look, this could really be difficult. So we started trying. I used the ovulation kits. I was really diligent about it. (laughs) I was that person who was like tracking everything in her app. And we got pregnant within like two months of trying. Sometimes I feel badly bringing it up because I know it can be such a touchy subject, but that's, that's just how it happened for us. And so I found out I was pregnant shortly after I turned 30 and we were due in July of 2020 and hurrah, you know, very exciting time. What month did you find out you were pregnant? I think it would have been like very early November of 2019. Okay. So yeah. Then you were due in July of 2020. Right. Just a small world event happened during your pregnancy. Right. So then, yeah, pregnancy uh, on its own was fairly fine for me. I didn't have morning sickness. I was able to stay regular with my fitness routine. I taught at the studio still. The only thing that really got to me was the like utter exhaustion. I just, there were days where I, I thought I'm never going to be able to pull myself out of bed. I, I had not experienced exhaustion like that previously. After having a baby, it's a different story. But <laughs> before getting pregnant and all that, I was shocked to be so tired. But I was about seven weeks along and had some bleeding and was panicked. I remember it was like 10 p.m. Orin had already gone to bed. I'm getting ready for bed, you know, doing my going to the bathroom for the 10 millionth time as you do before you go to bed, just to make sure that you're going to sleep through the night without having to pee. And I was bleeding and I was freaking out. I said, Oren, we have to go to the hospital. I'm bleeding. And he like jumps out of bed. So we go and they did scans. Everything was fine. It was a subchorionic hematoma. And I was like, okay, phew, thank goodness. And it was short-lived. Otherwise, pregnancy was fine. And then we hadn't planned to ever go on a baby moon. The idea of a baby moon to me before being pregnant was like, why? That's silly. Then I was pregnant and I was like, oh, I don't know. Maybe we should do something. So we planned a trip. It was a short trip, but we went to New Orleans and we planned it super last minute. I think we planned it in like December and we went in February. That's cool. And it it was the last trip we went on before everything shut down. Right. And so looking back, we were like, 
wow, really great planning on our part. I guess it was a good thing we went on that trip because yeah, then everything shut down. So that everything shuts down in March. So by that time, I'm what, almost six months. Right. And we went from, okay, we're so excited. Let's plan your baby shower to like, Mm, are we going to have a baby shower? Like, can we meet in person? So I ha- I ended up having virtual baby showers. And I will say, I, I don't want to say, oh, I felt robbed of my pregnancy experience, but a little bit. Because, you know, I would say by around the time everything shut down, I actually was like just starting to really show. And so as I was like starting to show, it was wintertime, all bundled up. No one can tell. I don't know. It didn't get that whole, oh, when are you expecting? Although, of course, you look back at it and you're like, would I have actually appreciated people just randomly talking to me about it? Mm, I'm not sure. Around like grass is always greener type yeah. situation. But it was a bummer. And, of course, we had to deal with the whole like going to appointments on your own. We were lucky enough to where we did the 20 week appointment where they do the gender scan and everything that was right before, I think that was like January. So we were able to do that together, but all of my final appointments and everything leading up to birth was alone. And we didn't know if I was going to be able to have my doula. There was all these questions surrounding who was going to be in the room, like could Oren even be there? We got closer and closer to it. You know, things started letting up a bit in the summer. So we were like, okay, well, at least Oren will be there. Thankfully, I was able to have my doula as well. So overall, all things considered, it was, you know, it was fine. It wasn't how you expected it to be, right? Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. Not at all. No one was expecting to, I mean, I had no idea what to expect anyway, right? But then add a pandemic on top of it and everyone having to be super careful and not being able to see family and all of that. That was rough. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I really feel for everyone who was pregnant during the height of the pandemic. I was pregnant during the pandemic too, but it was on the back end I suppose. And I went through a practice who was great and they allowed my partner to be there for every appointment when a lot of places were not, but I feel for folks who were navigating that March to June, 2020 time where it was just every day was a question mark and we just didn't know anything. No, I mean, I would go to appointments and I would ask every time, do we know who can be in the room? I know And I didn't want to be that person who was throwing a fit because everyone's trying to navigate this together, right? You know, no one really has that much more information than the next person. So I was trying to be understanding, but I also wanted answers, but nobody had answers. Oh my gosh, (laughs) that would have been so stressful. I would have lost my mind. But all in all, everything was fine. I had, I would say a very easy pregnancy. I think the worst thing was like terrible heartburn and the bleeding episode. And I would say dealing with my changing body. I would say this is not unique to me necessarily, but I have struggled my entire life with body image and had actually just gotten to a point as I turned 30 where I felt like I was in the best shape of my life. I was working out all the time. I mean, like six days a week at the studio doing like high 
know, intensity, blah, blah. So watching my body change was hard. Yeah. And it definitely felt like, I would say there were times when I felt like angry, you know, and like, you know, there's this little leech inside of me. (laughs) I didn't always have that. Like, I feel so warm and snuggly and fuzzy to be pregnant. And what a gift I was, I was not that person. Well, and it probably felt very out of control. Yes. And we all know, well, I mean, among the two of us, (laughs) how much I love when things are out of my control. (laughs) I'm sure you are not alone in that. So yeah, it was hard. It was more like an emotional toll. Physically, I was fine. I was working out up until the Sunday before I went into labor. How pregnant were you when you went into labor? I was 42 weeks and I actually had to really advocate for myself and what I wanted. I was with a group that I, I appreciated and liked them for the majority of my experience until we got to the end. And I was part of a group where, you know, you don't know who you're going to get in the delivering room, part of a OBGYN group. And I would say there were six or so doctors that you get rotated with throughout the course of your pregnancy, they're all pretty consistent in what they have to say. So that wasn't terrible, but I get to my 38 week appointment and they're talking about induction at 39 weeks. And I, they said, oh yeah, that's our standard practice. Nobody told me that until just now. And I don't want to do that. And, you know, they tried to tell me all of the research with the, I've looked it all up and I'm sure you could name it better than I off the top of your head. Um, The ARRIVE study? Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's fine. But how is the baby? Fine. And how am I? Fine. Okay, cool. Then I see no need for intervention. And they, they didn't press it after that first one. Cause I just said, you know, I don't want to do it. And they were like, okay, well, we'll talk again. I was like, sure. And they just kept bringing it up every appointment. And I get to 40 weeks, still pregnant. Also somewhat non sequitur. It is so annoying to be that pregnant and like getting to the 38, like 38 weeks and later Honestly, I need nobody to talk to me at that point because everyone's like, where's the baby? (laughs) Oh, I know. It's really serious. Yeah. Everyone just keeps asking, oh, and how dilated are you? Why do you need to know? And I was never really all that dilated at all. Well, dilation is also not always an indicator of when someone's going to go into labor or how fast it's even when someone's in labor of how fast it's going to go or. I know. I mean, I was hardly dilated. I had a friend who gave birth a few weeks before me who had been walking around for weeks at like five centimeters, not in labor. Right. (laughs) Oh, anyway, back to what I was saying. So I'm going to my weekly appointments and I get to 40 weeks and like, we're going to have to schedule you for 41 weeks. We can't go past 41 weeks. And I was pissed. I was like, but there's nothing wrong with the baby. There's, there's no indication that anything needs to be done to get this baby here sooner. 
Right. I told them, I was like, you can, you can do an ultrasound. I will do your stress tests. You can take my blood pressure every day. I don't care what you do, but you will not push this ahead of her schedule because I was very much under the mindset that she's going to come when she's ready. My body will figure it out and I will know. And if there's no indication that an intervention is needed. I don't want an intervention. That's just me. Some people are like, get this kid out of me and induce me at 39 weeks. I'm ready. I'm done. Fine. Cool. But that's just not what I wanted. They were desperate to get me scheduled. So I finally scheduled the induction, but (laughs) I scheduled it for 42 weeks and two days. At a girl. Because the options that they gave me were like, well, we can induce you tomorrow. And I think that was, I don't know, 41 weeks, or we can induce you on this date, which was 42 and two. And I said, okay, well, you can schedule me for then. And when I told the OB, she was livid. She's like, we need to get you in for an ultrasound. Honestly, I will never forget what she said here. Honestly, anything to get you induced. Basically, she was looking for any reason to induce me. Wow. And oh, that really lit me up. I think they just wanted to mitigate their risk in terms of like stillbirth. I think they kept mentioning stillbirth. And I was like, this bitch ain't still, okay? Yeah, the thing they failed to mention too is that the risk of stillbirth does double after a certain point of pregnancy, but it moves from 0.0 something to point zero something. It's not exactly still not a huge risk. And as long as the placenta is not calcified, as long as the baby is still moving, as long as mom's blood pressures are still in good shape and the blood work is all turning out good. There's no reason to induce some people just gestate babies for longer. And that was my feeling. And I had no desire to be induced none whatsoever. So I will say I did everything possible, you know, all the tricks of the trade. I've been, I ate dates for a month. Yeah. I actually love dates. I know you don't like dates, but now that I'm done having children, I will never touch a date again. I love dates. So I ate them like candy and I even was like pumping. I was trying to like stimulate that way. We tried to have sex, which was terrible. Don't do it, friends. Terrible idea. It was not not fun. No, no, not cute at all. And it did nothing. And I had my membrane swept twice. And I asked for that. They actually didn't offer it, which I was surprised since they were so concerned about me going into labor. That seems like the first line of action that most providers would take. Yeah, no, they didn't offer it. I asked about it and they did it. Offering me sweeps. Yeah. So I did the sweeps and I, you know, did all this. I ended up, let's see, I got a, I got a pedicure. I was doing squats. Like I said, it was the Sunday before I went into labor and my friend was doing the studio cycling studio was still shut down. So he was doing outdoor workouts, you know, group exercise. And so I went, it was like a Sunday and I'm super pregnant and squatting my way through this workout doing anything. I was walking up and down the street, you know, and, and then people would drive me and say, Oh, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Look on my ass is 42, almost 42 weeks pregnant. 
you think I have not tried everything in the book. Right. And they kept, oh, did you try spicy food? Yes. I was in tears. And I genuinely think people just are trying to help, but oh. at, and they're just being kind. But at that stage, you wake up every day, like I'm still pregnant. Why? So I think it was that Monday before I went into labor, I got a pedicure. And the night before I went into labor, I went and got a massage. I had to wear a mask the whole time, but I got a prenatal, you know, massage. She basically was just barely touching me, which was fine. And then that morning, 2 a.m. rolls around and I'm like, I think this is it. I think it's happening. And I didn't even wake Orin up at first. I texted my doula. She tells me what to look out for and all that. And then I let Oren sleep. You know, I figured my intention was to not go to the hospital for as long as I possibly could. So I didn't see any purpose in waking him up just so that he can, I don't know, rub my back. I didn't need it at that point. It was that very early. Yeah. It's funny because you never really have an idea of what they, they tell you, like what you might experience or whatever, but really nothing can prepare you for the labor pains, just nothing. And you know exactly what it is when it's happening. You're like, oh, oh, okay, got it, got it. And let's see, so I went into labor, it was like 2 a.m. and she was born a little after 8 p.m. that night. I stayed at home until about noon and then went to the hospital. I was getting to the point where it was painful enough to where I didn't feel comfortable staying at home. When you went into labor, did you have to COVID test and triage or anything at that point? No, actually. So the only time you needed to COVID test was if you were getting a procedure. So actually I'm remembering this now. So they had scheduled me for an ultrasound that morning because Mm. they wanted to induce me right? So it was 42 weeks. They're like, we need to get you into an ultrasound. We need to check the fluid. We need to check this. And I think that would have been the second ultrasound that I did between like 38 and 42 weeks. And I had, oh, and I had also gone in on Monday and did one of those like stress tests and apparently had a contraction during the test because she was like, oh, how do you feel? I was like, fine. And she looks at the thing and she says, oh yeah, it looks like you had a contraction. I was like, cool. I, ha- I didn't have any idea. Anyway, they had scheduled me for the ultrasound that morning. And because they had scheduled me for an ultrasound, you were supposed to go and do like COVID protocol before right. that. Or no, I'm lying. I didn't have to COVID test for the ultrasound, but because I was scheduled for the induction on Friday, I was going to get the ultrasound and a COVID test that day. That's what it was, but I didn't have to do any testing just showing up at the hospital Mm -hmm. in labor. And I had been on and off the phone with the doula that morning. I will say she was really good about making sure that I was doing what I intended because all along I was like, I want to stay at home for as long as possible. Like, I don't want to have to go to the hospital until like I had the babies coming out. And that was very much where I was before I went into labor. (laughs) And so she was double checking and triple checking when I was talking about, do I stay home? Do I go to the hospital? Because I think she could tell that I was not really close to actually having Olive at that point. But 
I wanted to go. I just didn't feel safe at home. I was freaked out. So we go to the hospital and then you get to triage. I think it's so funny. I mean, I walk into the hospital, I'm hunched over and clearly I could barely walk into the hospital and I'm being my stubborn self. They're like, do you need a wheelchair? No, no, don't touch me. I don't want a wheelchair. I will make it on my own. So I get to the front desk and they're like, oh, you're in act. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Just go upstairs. It's like, yeah, well, it's amazing how anyone who's not a labor and delivery nurse in a medical setting or a midwife or an OB is so freaked out by a woman in labor. Yeah, they were like in labor oh. and they think that a baby's going to pop out right then and there. So, yeah, which was hilarious. So I'm go- we go up to stairs to triage and they get me all checked in and they want to check this and that to make sure I'm in labor. I was like, I promise you I'm in labor. But I guess they have situations where people come in and they're not sure. Yeah, I mean, like some people will be from the sounds they're making and the way their body is moving, you would think that they're like, seven or eight centimeters and it turns out they're like two centimeters and baby's just in a wonky position that's making contractions really painful but then on the other side some people will come in and they'll be like I feel like I have like diarrhea cramps and they're like eight you know wild, so, wild. so I go in and I think I was five centimeters when they checked at triage and then the whole process was fine. I, you know, I didn't know what to expect. Right. Right. So I just thought this is fine. I desperately had one at a tub and I kept asking. I remember asking not, not once I was in labor, but throughout my pregnancy, I was like, so are there any rooms with a tub? So I'm just double checking. Are there any tubs in L&D? And I just kept asking about tubs. I really wanted one. They didn't have any, but they were very accommodating. I was able to use the shower and they strapped whatever thing around my belly to make sure that the baby was fine. And actually I recall one of the nurses, cause I'm again, hunched over in the shower, just totally everything's out. And this nurse is holding the monitor on my belly, like staying as far as she can away from me but making sure that I'm getting what I want in terms of, you know, being in this water. Anyway, my experience at the hospital was great. I actually am surprised that they did not push for a C-section because I was pushing for upwards of three hours. Oh, wow. Oh, and side note, my doula had a family emergency. So she had to swap out doulas. She comes from a family of doulas. It's her and I think two of her sisters. They're all doulas. And I had actually met the sister who tapped in. I had interviewed them both just to like see who I jived with more. And so I at least knew this person in some way. And she didn't tap out until later, until I was like well into the wild zone. But yeah, so I didn't get a C-section but it took me forever to push that thing out. I mean, she was almost 10 pounds. Like she was nine pounds, 14 ounces and shocker, super stubborn. I mean, so the OB 
that was there for the birth is actually the OB that I really, really wanted to have. Good. She was amazing. That yeah, it rarely was, happens that people actually yeah. get the person that they want. Yeah. So when I first came in, it was a woman who I was not thrilled about, but then she was like, okay, so Dr. Shaheen's going to switch in, you know, tap in for me at this point. And I was like, okay, great. And in my mind, I'm like, yay, because that's who I desperately wanted to have at the birth. And she was amazing and just like a great cheerleader and was literally trying to all of kept getting in this weird position and moving her head. Like she'd get her head in a good place and then all would move right back to wherever she wanted to be. Go figure the kids coming at 42 weeks. She's doing whatever she wants, but she comes and everything's great and everything's fine. And I was thrilled. I lost like a liter and a half of blood. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had a second degree tear. So that was kind of a bummer, but I think if I were to do it again, which we do plan on having more children eventually, I would try and listen to my body a little bit more. I think when it got to pushing, I just did not go with the flow so much. It's hard to know looking back. I'm not entirely sure. And I'm a little bit more removed from it now. Yeah. And pushing is incredibly an an intense time during labor too. So yeah. And I mean, they had me in all kinds of different positions because I didn't, I, I chose to not have an epidural. So I was, you know, sideways and backwards and up on the railing and squatting this way and squatting that way and doing everything possible to get this kid to come. But I kind of wish we had done less Mm -hmm. so that I would have had more of an opportunity to listen to myself more. Uh I was just kind of in a place where I was doing what people were telling me to do because I just didn't know what else to do at that point. Mm. Cause all the, what I felt were important decisions for me were made. I had everything that I wanted, which yeah. was incredible. I consider myself incredibly lucky for all of that. Yeah. No interventions. I didn't get a tub, but I got some water in my mind. I'd have 20 more babies. That was totally fine. The pregnancy, the birth, no problem. Yeah. In my mind. Yeah. So then pregnancy was cool minus the pandemic. Right. Birth was cool minus the pushing phase. Sure. What was immediate postpartum like for you? And here comes the fun part. So this is why I tell people I would have 20 babies, but someone has to take that child from about birth to, I don't know, four or five months because- I lost my mind. Legitimately, I don't know who that person was for the first several months of my child's life. And I try not to feel too guilty about it anymore, but I sometimes do because I feel like I missed out on enjoying, you know, people say, oh, enjoy it. I was not enjoying anything. I was miserable. And it didn't start until like we got home. Because, you know, in the hospital, everyone's taking care of you. We opted to have her in the nursery. So they brought her in every two hours or whatever. And I was like, okay, this is fine. Oh, also they were trying to really push people out quickly after birth because of COVID. Mm -hmm. We stayed, I think we had like two-ish nights there because she was born obviously late, like at 8 p.m. So we had that night and I think we had a second night and then we were released the following day. But we get home. She's not even out of the car seat and I am sobbing. I just throw myself over the piano in our living room and I'm crying 
And I just had this feeling of like, oh my God, what did we do? And at first they tell you this is normal. They tell you, you might experience a lot of crying. It could just be those baby blues. And so you don't know, you just keep pushing through. You don't know. But I wish I had taken that as a cry for help at the very onset because it just was awful. Feeding was fine for a while. And then eventually we started having problems. She would what I thought was like latch on for a little bit. And by a little bit, I mean, 30 seconds. And then she'd throw herself back screaming, screaming. And the sleep deprivation was terrible. You know, I would say I was overeducated in the whole putting baby on a schedule crap. So I thought it will look one way and it looked nothing like that. So that really messed with me because I felt like I was failing. Right. If all these books are telling you that it's going to work this way. And if you just do this one thing, then, but, and a lot of those sleep programs or sleep training things, they really do make you feel like if your child is not cooperating, it's obviously something that you're doing wrong. That you're doing right. Mm -hmm. And so I took all, I took so much of it as uh, a sign that I was a terrible mom that I was never going to be able to do this, that I was not fit for parenthood. How could I ever take care of a baby? I'm doing a terrible job. She's going to, not she's going to die, but you know, she would be better off with a different mother. I had all of these intrusive thoughts and I was crying all the time and it was just like a dark cloud. Yeah. And it probably didn't help that it was in the middle of a pandemic. Where right. So postpartum is already a- so isolating and then not having the ability to have anyone. Yeah. I will say by. we were fortunate. We were fortunate in that Orin's parents did come out for a couple of weeks. I think they ended up staying a little longer than they may have originally intentioned because they got here and realized I was really not doing well. And so we did have that help, but I just constantly was so upset and I was angry at her, like, and which made me feel even worse because here I am like angry at a helpless infant. She was crying all the time, like super colicky and no one's giving me answers. And then we started having feeding problems. I went to a few different LCs and of course, like when I went to these appointments, the feed was fine. And this woman was like, yeah, everything looks good. And I, I would ask questions. Well, do I have to be concerned about this? No, she seems like she's taking in plenty. Oh, the reason all this started was because when, you know, she was born very large, 914. I think she got down to like 91 okay. at her like lowest or whatever. And then when she started gaining again, she wasn't gaining at the rate that the pediatricians wanted to see. As a postpartum doula, I hear that a lot, especially with the bigger babies. And it's not an issue that they're not gaining weight. They're just not gaining at the pace. Right. Hmm. She was never not gaining weight. She was always gaining weight, but not in the way that they wanted to see. Like they, they had a specific equation that they used. Yeah. And if you know, she was really on the low end of that equation in terms of her weight gain. And this was a problem. And I didn't know what to do because she would nurse well for like the first half of the day. And then she would not nurse well and, and feedings were miserable. 
And I was hell bent on nursing exclusively. Okay. I also felt like it was the only option because no one ever instructed me or my spouse in all these pre whatever classes, mind you, that were all virtual that, Hey, did you know that you can offer the breast and also offer formula as a supplement? No one talked about that beforehand. And then when they bring it up as an option to you, when you're having a problem, it's like, oh, well, you have to do this now because it's a problem and you're doing something wrong with feeding your baby. Right. It's like formula and supplementing becomes an indicator that something is, is wrong. Right. So I really didn't want to use formula and I feel badly because literally there's nothing wrong with formula. And eventually she was formula fed from like four or five months onwards. But I just had it in my head that this is what I wanted to do. And if I did not meet that goal, I have then failed. So I was really hard on myself in that regard. And I wanted to do anything to like nurse and nurse her for a year and all this, that, and the next thing. And finally, so they, they suggested I triple feed, which you know what kind of fresh hell that is. Yeah, if anyone wants to know about what triple feeding is, go and listen to the uh, second to last episode of season one of this podcast. I talk about my experience with that. It is a new kind of hell. Yeah, that is some fresh hell that I wish on nobody. And if anyone, I don't, I know women who did it for longer than I could have ever imagined doing it and hats off and kudos to them, but it did not work for me. Partially because Olive needed to be held a lot. If she was not sleeping, she needed to be held. And even when she was sleeping, sometimes she needed to be held. She's a newborn. Like, this is normal. But nobody told me that that's normal. So I'm thinking something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with her. I, and I never actually thought something was wrong with her. You know, we weren't getting great sleep, obviously. And then at a certain point, she stopped napping. And anytime she hit a sleep cycle, she was up and crying. So this was like every 30, 40 minutes. And I was desperate for anybody to tell me what to do because I I felt like I couldn't make the decision and whatever decision I made was going to be wrong. And it's not what she needed. And then I felt terrible because I didn't know what my baby needed. And you're just going to know, you're just going to know what your baby needs. You're going to learn your baby's cries. Yeah. There's definitely an ideal in our society where it's like, you give birth to this baby and then all of a sudden you're just smitten you're instantly connected and you know what they want all the time because you're their mother and you're all knowing and for some people it may be that way but that ideal doesn't leave space for any other experience which can make the lot of mothers that have these moments of I don't know what my baby needs It just makes them feel like crap and like they're a complete failure and like something's wrong with them because they're not having this experience of just being the all-knowing mother who knows everything and can soothe their baby at all times. Right. And I think back and I, I clearly was just not, my frame of mind was just totally off. And I don't know if I ever told you this, but in the middle of the night, when, you know, like fresh newborn, when they say, okay, you have to feed them every whatever, two hours, make sure, you know, wake them up to feed them. Fine. Mm-hmm. I did all this, but we have her in the bassinet in our room instead of just taking her out of the bassinet 
and feeding her, this is what I did. I took her out of the bassinet. I took like our little hatch light because it couldn't see. I took that with me into her nursery. I changed her diaper to try to wake her up. Then instead of going back to the comfort of my own bed, I came into our guest room, sat on our guest bed because I didn't want to wake up my husband. I'm like, Logan, you're going to wake him up just by walking all around your house. You know, that was where my head was at the time, though. Right. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But all this made sense to me at the time. Like, mm-hmm. this is what I have to do. And I think I was just trying to hold on to any sense of structure. Yeah. And control, right? Because I think postpartum can be a really, really difficult time, particularly for us type A control freak types, because postpartum is inherently an out of control time. Right. And I had never heard stories of people just being honest about it. Mm-hmm. People would just laugh and be like, ha ha, you're never going to sleep again. Ha ha. Like your life isn't your own anymore. Ha ha. And it was this big joke. And it doesn't help someone who's in the middle of it. No. And no one actually like spoke to the realities of it. So I felt so ill-prepared and I mean, I really spiraled. So I'll go into the details of that. I'll kind of like skip over all the others, like, you know, other newborn stuff that happens. Right. But I got to the point where there were times I was crying so much. I couldn't get out of bed. And my husband comes up with like the crisis hotline card and is like, please call somebody. He was very worried about me. And I remember one time I went, I was going to get my hair done again, holding onto any sense of structure. I can, I was going to get my hair done because my mother-in-law was in town and she was going to watch Olive for that few hours. And I was not having a good day. And she looks at me and she's like, are you okay to drive? Cause she was worried about me getting into my car. And I remember so vividly the thought that went through my head when she asked me that question and I had to hold my tongue because all I wanted to say to her was yeah a lot of good bridges in Pittsburgh aren't there oh my gosh like that's where I was right so it didn't get any better I finally called my OB at some point because Oren just kept telling me to call people he was like I just because he just was at a loss bless his heart he was doing everything he could I mean he was waiting on me hand and foot doing everything he could while like also trying to work from home in the middle of the pandemic because he only had two weeks of paternity leave don't get me started yeah that's a whole other discussion that's a whole other discussion and me being like a freelancer I had no income and, and I just stopped everything to take care of her. So finally I call my OB's office one day and I tell them what's going on. And they were like, they, I don't want to say she freaked out, but she kind of did the nurse that I spoke to. She's like, well, we want you to come to the hospital. And I'm like, okay, no, I'm not coming to the hospital. It's not that serious. Like I'm not in, in any inherent danger. I'm not going to hurt myself. I just had a lot of thoughts about hurting myself. And wanting to die and thinking that everyone would be better off without me, including my daughter. And I just felt like there was no point in me living because I was useless to everybody and I couldn't even help myself. And anyway, so they tell me to come to the hospital and she literally wouldn't let me off the phone until I told her that I was coming to the hospital. And then then I told her that I could drive myself. And she was like, no, I was like, no, it's fine. 
I will drive myself to the hospital. And I really genuinely meant that because at this point, this was probably about three and a half, four months in. And I genuinely just, I didn't want to feel like this anymore. So I was like, fine, if you're telling me that I need to come to the hospital, I'll come to the hospital. That's all for today, but join us next time as Logan continues to tell us her story, sharing her experience of seeking help for her postpartum depression and anxiety and her climb back up from rock bottom. She reflects on what was most helpful for her and together we will discuss cultural and societal expectations about postpartum motherhood and mental health. You can check out our show notes for links to a couple of resources if you are struggling yourself and to a couple of resources that Logan found helpful as she went through her journey. If you like what you hear, feel free to follow, like, and share this podcast with anyone you feel may benefit. We have a great community on Instagram and Facebook at Our Village Circle, and our website is www.ourvillagecircle.com. Until next time, bye-bye.